This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 22. The headmaster walked down the aisle of death, returning the boys' final essays. Well done, Mr. Cobble, said Headmaster Clark. Mr. Selden? Not so much. Is English your first language? Boys were still snickering when Clark reached Eddie. Mr. Allen Poe. The man cocked his head and looked over his bifocals at a nervous Eddie. Well done. <gasps> Thank you, sir. In fact, Clark continued, I believe your essay might be well received by your fellow classmates. Would you mind reading it to us? Uh, yes, sir. I'd be honored. Eddie had been worried that his essay was too beyond the pale, too dark, too sacrilegious. Suddenly, his dreams of being published seemed more possible than ever. Eddie got up and charged the podium, a broad smile on his face. He began with a brief history about the historical King Macbeth, his violent rise to the Scottish throne, and his role in the assassination of the previous King Duncan. History tells us King Macbeth ruled for 14 years until he was killed in retribution by Duncan's nephew Malcolm, whereby the crown returned to that family. It isn't known whether the real Macbeth enlisted the supernatural to gain power, as Shakespeare would have us believe, but it is true that magic and alchemy played an important role in Europe at that time, and still does to this day. In fact, magic and mysticism date back as far as history itself. Moses, King Solomon, the three wise men, also known as the Magi. The Greeks worshipped Hecate and Medea and Circe, known for her herbs and potions. Magic didn't become clandestine until the Dark Ages, when European kings and priests became threatened by anyone who might have more power than they. And so the lore began, which brings us to the tragedy of Macbeth by William Shakespeare. Legend has it that Shakespeare stole authentic chants from a coven of witches who then placed a very real curse on the play. Eddie channeled his thespian roots and spoke slowly, building suspense line after line. It was a little conjuring of his own. As he made a case for Shakespeare's witches and the similarities to American folk magic, he used caution never to mention Obia or that his source was an elderly slave, not to mention the fear of Macbeth-style retribution if he betrayed Eudoja's trust. In the end, Eddie, too, had become a believer in the power of conjure. He continued, According to multiple reports, the first actor to play Macbeth died in rehearsals. On opening night, the actor portraying Lady Macbeth dropped dead on the spot, no pun intended, and Shakespeare himself stepped into the role of the doomed queen. That's right, boys, Eddie looked at the class. Shakespeare wore a dress. When the chuckles died down, he continued, other performances were plagued when prop knives were replaced with real ones or actors fell off the stage. Even the musical score is said to be cursed by anyone who performs it. And to this day, actors say that uttering the word Macbeth on a stage while you're not actually performing the play is bad luck. Hence, they call it the Scottish play. When Eddie was finally through reading his essay, he looked up to a silent audience. They sat motionless on the edge of their seats with horrified looks on their faces, not unlike how Eddie had felt as a child hearing the ghost stories at the plantation. A satisfied smile crossed his face. After class, he received pat after pat on the back from his friends. Great essay, said Creed. Thanks, Eddie smiled at the ground. 
Where'd you get that stuff? asked Nat. A good journalist never divulges his sources. Then Creed asked again, I just have one more question. You kept saying Macbeth on that landing where the podium was. Isn't that in fact a stage? And weren't you in fact cursing yourself? The boys were still pondering this very meta thought when Robert Stannard approached, ready for his final tutoring session planned for that day. It had been a full month of helping the boy with his studies. If Eddie was going to have any excuse to see Jane again, he would have to think of one fast. He knew his lustful feelings for Jane were wrong. He hardly knew her and had only sat with her in the parlor a number of times. That she was ten years his senior or married seemed to be a lesser worry. There was no way Eddie could ever tell Jane how he felt. Or was that exactly what he needed to do? It made him sick to think about it, but the more he tried to get her out of his mind, the more he was obsessed. If Jane was the opium, Edgar was the fiend, desperate for a fix. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars, and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.